Let's talk about failing and how do we deal with that. I would like for us to be able to say we never fail and we always do the right thing. But we all know that that's not the case. Jesus is the only one who, who had that perfect life, and, and we come far short of that as we try to walk in his footsteps. Our past mistakes uh, are there to haunt us. Our present mistakes, they torment us. And even our future mistakes tend to worry us. And I have examples. You know, there's a man I know, one of the most faithful Christians you would know, um, He works harder than anybody that you have ever seen, but he labors under the impression that somehow he's trying to pay back God for his mistakes. And he can never feel secure in his life. He's constantly, in fact, he doubts. He says, I I don't think that God could ever let me go to heaven because of the mistakes that I've made in my past. But he is desperately working but he's working under the impression that somehow he can pay off that debt, and he can't. It's a heavy burden for him. He labors under the guilt of his past failures. Just yesterday, I read a letter written by a Christian lady who had made, within the month, uh, a mistake in judgment in her eyes. Uh, she felt like it was a sinful choice that she made, could have caused people to stumble, and she was broken by that very current failure in her life and shed tears and wrote a letter apologizing for her lack of wisdom and lack of judgment. I remember a few years ago, there was a young man, we were sitting in church side by side as the elders were naming off people who were to be disciplined by the church because of their unfaithfulness and their impenitence. And as they're reading through that list of names, I remember uh, this boy leaned over to me and said, you know what? In 10 years, they'll be reading my name off. You know, he was already planning for, I'm not going to be able to do this. This is going to be just too hard for me. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to fail. Someday the elders are going to be reading my name off to withdraw from. It's surprising sometimes to me how that the Bible does not gloss over the mistakes of the heroes, the the godly characters, the best men and women of the Bible. Uh, They have recorded some of their most grievous failures. And I don't think that's by accident. I think it's by design. It, It gives me hope. When I look at men like David and men like Lot and, and men like Abraham, who, who are great men of God, a man after God's own heart, a friend of God, righteous Lot. But man, I can... Heinous sins, failures are recorded from their lives. So it gives me hope. Because I can look at my life and say, well, you know, I make mistakes too. But in spite of my mistakes, I can still be what God wants me to be. I can still be accepted by him. And, and I want us to look this morning about four or five things that will help us when we fail. What do we do? How do we deal with it? How should we not deal with it? And here's the first thing. When we fail... We need to, number one, accept the love and the forgiveness of God. We have a harder time forgiving ourselves than, than God does. I'm convinced of that. 
We beat ourselves up, and, and God is done with it. If we approach him with a penitent heart and we have met his terms of pardon, and, and he's through, he's forgotten it, but we, oh, we struggle with it. We pray for forgiveness today for something that we've done, and tomorrow I'll be thinking about it, and I'll feel so guilty, I'll pray about it again. Well, God's already forgiven me of that, but I haven't forgiven myself. And so I ask again, and how many of us have done that where we, we just have a hard time letting go? Folks, that's why they call it the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news because our sins can be removed from us. We don't have to answer for them. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient. It's satisfactory. It's compelling because of that. How could I, why would I ever say no to Jesus in light of the fact that I don't have to work it off, I can't work it off, and yet he still lets me have forgiveness? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, in verse 8, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And we need to understand what it means to be forgiven. God forgives us. He removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. It's like a man who would cast them into the depths of the sea. And it's not a God, it's not a vengeful, vindictive God who says, Oh, great, they asked for forgiveness. I'm going to go ahead and have to forgive them now because they asked. And he's just waiting in heaven to just really nail us. That's not the God we serve. Micah chapter 7 and verse 18 says that God is a God who delights in mercy. It is his delight. What are the things that you delight in, in life? What are the things that give you great pleasure? We have insight into the character of God, and one of the things that delights him is to be able to be merciful to us and to forgive us and say, it's all right. It's over with. I've forgiven you. I may have told this to you before. I don't remember, but when Kelly was just a little girl, she broke her leg on a trampoline in Missouri. I was still in Kentucky, didn't have time to make that trip to Missouri. And so they went out there, and within five minutes of being there, she breaks her leg. And I get a call, and of course, what was so, you know, uh, keeping me tied down wasn't so important anymore. I drove over there. And, and so we got her all fixed up. She had this little pink cast on her leg, and, and, uh, she couldn't walk. She couldn't put weight on it. It was one of those kind of deals. And so she scooted everywhere she went. Like, she's a great scooter. She could go up and down the aisles at church. And But in the backyard, we had these two neighbor girls that would come over and play. And they would all run over to the swing set and be playing there. And Kelly would be scooting on her way over there. And by the time she got there, they'd be off under the, you know, magnolia tree doing something else. And so Kelly would just plop down out of the swing and scoot over to where they are. And it was just like this. She was chasing them all over the yard, never could catch up with them. I was watching from the kitchen window. I I felt bad. And as a parent, you know what I did? I went outside that afternoon and I just carried her from station to station so she could keep up with the other girls. That event helps me to understand what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 103. That God pities us as a father pities his children. I had pity on my daughter 
I, I couldn't stand to see her in that situation. I had to intervene. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. When you fail, turn to God and repent and have assurance that he has forgiven. Also, here's a second thing. When you fail, move beyond your past failure. Get beyond it. Don't live there. Don't camp there. Let that literally be in your past. Do you remember what Paul said? And he had a lot of things in his past. Man, he was putting men and women in prison. I mean, he was, he was radical. He was going from house to house, arresting people. He had letters from the high priest that would allow him to go from, he was interrogating people and, and he was, he was radical. And now he learns that all that stuff that he was doing, he was wrong about all of it. A lot to feel guilty about. But he said, you know what I've done? I've decided I'm just going to put that stuff in the past and I'm going to look forward. I'm going to press ahead to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. I'm going to not live there anymore. I'm going to move on. Maybe you've heard the story about the little sheep, the little lamb uh, that, uh, you know, the, the mother kept telling it not to play in the mud. She'd say, sheep don't wallow. Sheep don't wallow. And if there's one thing that sheep, that little lamb knew, is that sheep don't wallow. Every day she'd walk by and she'd see all those pigs in that mud puddle having just the biggest time. And, and so finally she ignored the advice of her mother That little lamb jumped in there, had the biggest time of her life, just wallowing around in that mud. Everything was fine until it got time to leave because now that heavy wool is covered up and soaked with mud and water and she can't pull herself free. It's got her. She needed to be reminded that sheep don't wallow. Same thing's true with Christians. You can play around with sin. You can live there when you fail. And if you never get out of there, it's going to become a trap to you. You won't know how to leave someday. When you want to leave, you won't be able to find yourself an escape route. Sheep don't wallow. Christians don't wallow either. We need to make our exit. Leave those things in our past and move on beyond it. A few years ago, we were sitting, it's funny, but it's not, but my, Matthew was in the car, I don't remember who else, but we were sitting at a Cracker Barrel somewhere, and uh, it was pouring down rain, and a car had stalled, and we were off a couple little ways away from it, and we were waiting on Kim to actually come out to the car, and so there was this woman who decided to help the situation, and she was going to push on the car that had stalled. And um, she came up to the back, and she was going to just put all of her weight into it. And she hit that back, and because it was wet, her hands slid right off of it, and she went right down in a huge mud puddle. And I guess we shouldn't have laughed. Um, She was okay. It didn't hurt her. But what was funny was the way she reacted. Because if you fall down in a mud, you would think you would jump up, you know, and, and look at yourself. She laid in it. She rolled in it. 
and she never got up. And it just became comical because she was just completely a mess by the time she decided to get up from that. But you don't wallow in sin. When you make a mistake, when you fail, you don't stay there. You get up, you move on. Here's a third thing that we need to learn, and that is we need to learn to do the best we can with what we have. Stop judging yourself by other people. Number one, it's not fair. Number, it, it, you can't, I mean, you're either going to be disappointed in yourself or you're going to think too highly of yourself. If I want to compare myself to somebody else, then I, I, I'd, like, I'd like to be the one to pick the people that I compare myself to because I can make myself look pretty good if I pick the right people. But if I don't pick the right people, then I can feel really rotten about myself. The Apostle Paul told us that we should not compare ourselves to people but we should compare ourselves to the standard of God's Word. And he also tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 12, that our our sacrifice to God is not going to be judged by what we didn't have, but by what we had. God's not going to judge me the same that he would somebody who has a whole lot more money than I do if they give more than me. He's going to judge me by what I had. And what did I do with what I had? Not by what I didn't have. And the same thing is true with reference to our abilities. When I fail, and when I look around, I see, well, I'm not nearly as good as them. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be as good as somebody else. I can take my dad and and James here today, and I can say, you know what? My dad and James can quote Scripture. I mean, they, they can quote the Bible. I'll never be able to quote the Bible like they do. Does that mean I might as well quit? I might as well give up? I can't preach because I can't quote the Bible like them? Edwin Jones has such a broad knowledge of the Bible and the backgrounds and the settings, the historical settings. Of the book. I'll never know as much as Edwin does. So what, I quit because I'm never going to be Edwin? Jody Apple, I'm never going to have a beard like him. Uh, You know, we're different. We don't compare ourselves to each other. And that's one of the, when I fail, I need to not judge my failures by, well, wow, I'm not like him or like her and I can't do this and that. Do what you can. Use what you have. That's what God's going to judge you by. Here's a fourth thing. Be persistent. There's a great difference in falling and failing and being a failure. You might say that's trite, but it really is the case. We all make mistakes. We all fail, but that doesn't mean we're a failure. Because... We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's not the reason. The reason is because we have a Savior. Romans 8 and verse 37 says that we are more than... Well, he says, who can stand against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
And I love the imagery that he gives because he says, we are like sheep as led to the slaughter. How can we be sheep led to the slaughter and be more than a conqueror? That imagery is, doesn't work. It, it, it's a mixed image. Sheep led to the slaughter, but we're more than conquerors. That doesn't seem to fit. I think that's why he used it. You know, if you wanted to say, if you were God and you wanted to say, I'm going to give you victory, but it's not going to be by your own might. It's going to be by mine. How would you say it? How would you illustrate it? I know what he did with Gideon. He narrowed down that huge army to just 300 men and sent them off against hundreds of thousands of men, and they won the victory. Nobody could go home that day and say, look what we did. They won the victory, but it was by the power of God. And how can God communicate to us that we are saved, but not by ourselves, not by our own works, but by God's goodness and his grace? How about this imagery? Conquering sheep. Who's ever heard of such? Conquering sheep? Sheep are mild, passive. They can't do anything. But that's what the Lord says. We are conquering sheep. That says we win, but it also communicates it's not by our own might. It's by the power of God working in us. Be persistent. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the last point is this. Learn from your mistakes. If you made a mistake yesterday, don't make it today. Try to learn from your Resist harder. I wonder sometimes if we don't try hard enough. You know, we make mistakes. We know that we have that avenue of forgiveness. And so we don't resist as hard as we should. I mentioned this before, but Reed Swindle, I heard him preach down at Freed a couple years ago. And uh, Reed made a really good point. He said, if every time we sinned, we got a scar on our face how much harder would we resist temptation? The fact that that scar is hidden on our soul, our spirit, and no one sees but God, we think we get away with things and we don't resist as hard, but it blemishes us just the same. Man, if doing certain things would cause me to be mutilated and scarred and distorted and people would look at me with... uh, you know, a little arm's distance, I'd think twice. I'd try harder. Maybe we need to try harder not to sin. I know we don't have to, but I know we're weak, and I know that we do. Don't just give in. Get better. Try harder. John Mark, Acts 13 was a young man in whose house the church met, his mother's house. And then he decided to go on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Good young man. The church is meeting in his house. They're going on a mission trip. And just a little ways into that mission trip, he decides, I've had enough. And he leaves, and he goes back home. I don't know why or what it was that turned him back, but he turned back. And I know it was sufficient to make the Apostle Paul, when they started the second missionary journey, he said, I am not taking that guy with me again. Nope, not going to do it. 
Hey, you can take him if you want him, but I don't want him. And Barnabas said, well, he's, I, I'm going to take him. He's my cousin. I, I, I want him to go with me. Hey, you, if you all want him, you, you can go somewhere else, but I will not take him with me again. I mean, he was adamant. There became a strong contention between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. It was enough to destroy a young man. How would you like to fail and an apostle in the church says, I don't want this guy around. It's enough to make you quit. But he didn't. And by the time the Apostle Paul writes 2 Timothy chapter 4, as he's approaching his death, he said, send John Mark. He'd be a comfort to me. He's in prison. He wants to see that young man that he formerly didn't want anything to do with. I think John Mark learned from his mistake and what was at one time not very profitable became very useful to the Apostle Paul. I also think that the Apostle Paul learned from his mistakes as well. Paul probably, who didn't want him at all, has changed his mind about that and maybe learned that that wasn't the best decision and now he wants him with him. Learn from your mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fail. It doesn't make us a failure. It would if we were on our own. But it doesn't because we serve and work with a mighty God. Imagine, if you would, if you're a bunch of fifth graders and you're playing a a game of basketball and, and it's fifth graders against fifth graders. And you haven't mastered all the techniques. You can't do the crossovers. You can't hit a jump shot. You push it from your chest and and all that kind of stuff. Everybody's kind of on the same plane here. Not very good. You might lose that game because they may just be a little bit better than you. But what if you had Kobe Bryant as your fifth man? Can you imagine There's no way a group of fifth graders is going to beat four fifth graders and Kobe Bryant. No way. You you have to work, well, I'll say it this way, only if the team works against Kobe. You know, when you take it out of bounds, you don't throw it to him and you just hand it to another guy on the other team. You'd have to work against him to lose that game. The same is true with Jesus. We're disciples of Christ We are in a conflict, in a competition, in a battle for our soul. And Jesus is on our side. The only way you're going to lose is if you fight it, if you quit on him, if you turn on him, if you participate with him, if you join him in the effort. Who can beat you? Nobody can defeat you. I hope that we learn here today, and I hope that you'll leave here understanding that no one is a failure if they have Jesus Christ as their Lord. And I'll tell you what, the flip side of that is also true. No one is a success if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord. We're going to sing a song of encouragement right now, and maybe there are some of you who need to take inventory of your life. Where are you in this process? Have you failed? Have you come clean? Have you done the things that you need to do when you fail? Have you come to God and said, I have failed, I have sinned, 
I want forgiveness. If you haven't do that this morning, your life will be made right with God. That hope of heaven is yours. If you're not a child of God yet, there's no way that you'll ever be pleasing to God. There's no way heaven will ever be your home unless you make him your Lord. You can be the best businessman, the best student, um, whatever. But what does it amount you? What does it profit you if you don't have Jesus? If you need to respond to the invitation this morning, we want you to do that. If you need to be baptized into Christ, we'll assist you. If there's sin in your life and you want prayers of your brethren, we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.